Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. My drinking, yeah, I drank all the way through all of this, like a lot. And it became completely interwoven with like, it was, it was for me uh, an anxiety coping mechanism and like, I had a lot of anxiety anyway, like the anxiety is what got me to give up my job. And then I'd gone into this field where it's like, there's no certainty you're going to perform in front of people who don't like you. Um, you know, you're constantly going to be like, is this good? Is it, I have this idea. Is it good? Does it make any sense? Um, and I use drinking all of the time to try and manage that. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Balancing Acts. In this conversation, I talk with actor, writer and comedian Dave Tozer. Perfect. Hi, this is Steve Whiteley, comedian, actor, filmmaker and writer, all-round ADHD creative. And welcome to my new podcast, Balancing Acts, where I talk to an array of creatives ranging from comedians, actors, directors, all sorts. And we talk about how they find a sense of balance or not between their creative lives and their everyday lives and how that has an impact on their mental health and beyond. Balancing Acts is now made in association with The Comedy Crowd, who are a website and community that support independent comedy creators such as myself. I have a Comedy Crowd short, which is a a two-minute video, one of my characters, on their website. They showcase the best new videos on Comedy Crowd TV, which is comedycrowdtv.com, and across media platforms, so do go and check them out. So this was another episode that I managed to squeeze in before social distancing became a thing. And I'm pleased I did. This was a really great conversation. Dave and I have collaborated on many projects over the years. So it was great to sit down with him and talk with him in in greater detail about about lots of things, really. But yeah, we talk a lot about his, his creative journey and kicking off with Dave's working in a corporate job in IT and then reaching the age of 30 and decided to pack it all in. And he set up a recording studio business and launched his comedy YouTube channel, Wallop. And I highly recommend you go and check it out. It's got it's got some funny stuff on there. He doesn't make as much content now, but just look at look at Apreski music video he did. Absolutely ridiculous, but very, very funny. Yeah, we talk about how Dave went from launching his YouTube channel to then performing in his first Edinburgh show in 2016 and the experiences of doing a late show in a venue that was next to a bar and it had no door and there was drum and bass 
pumping through <laughs> throughout the show. And so obviously there was lots of challenges that he was faced with and he discusses that. And then returning to Edinburgh Fringe in 2017, having a completely different experience in one of the paid venues and one of the sketches that he and um, his performing partner, Abigail Burdess, wrote and performed uh, was then broadcast on Radio 4. So it was a it was a really successful Edinburgh for him. So we, yeah, we discussed that. And, you know, I've props to Dave. He's like super open on this, in this conversation. And um, he talks about his struggles with alcoholism and how he got to a point where he decided he needed to leave London and he temporarily moved to LA and enrolled in a UCB course, Upright Citizens Brigade improv course. You may have, if you listen to like, I think episode two, of the podcast i was out there at that time i recorded a podcast episode because i was also doing ucb course we were in different courses but i'd gone out there for a week but he stayed out there for six months and he explains how that period ultimately helped him to becoming sober he talks about why he loves the la improv scene so much we get into detail over his processes of writing an animation pilot and working with industrial scripts who are a company that give you notes on your on your scripts and he sings their praises and yeah and then we also talk about stuff like how how sobriety has has sort of led to lots of lifestyle changes such as working out now and meditating but then also the struggles of wondering whether he's going to be as creative sober he explains the idea of creative dread and describing what it is what and what he does when he gets it how how he gets past it and we talk about why perfectionism is an excuse not to create and why it's sometimes okay to reward the monkey in your brain because that monkey in your brain is just always going crazy you've got to give it something otherwise it's gonna it's gonna get out of the cage yeah and dave also dives in deep um describing the learning the lessons of action overthinking we talk about his love for always sunny and he tells me about dan Harmon's story circle dan Harmon was the co-writer co-creator of rick and morty and also the creator i'm not sure who's co-creator of community and writer and which is amazing i've since checked it out and it's um it's kind of based on joseph campbell's the hero of a thousand faces but yeah go and check out yourself we talk about soundtracks that have helped dave access emotion during his youngest years there's loads here it was a really really lovely conversation i think you're going to really enjoy it so over to dave perfect Let's kick things off with uh, the comedy shtick, uh, because you and I have had a, a, a close working relationship over the years. Yeah, man. Um, that fateful day when <laughs> we met on top, uh, on a rooftop. Yeah, we did. And you said to me, we'd never met before, we got introduced by Joe Dives. Yeah. And I had my YouTube channel, you had your YouTube channel. Yeah, and we I went, both you know just what? started. Man. We just, just, yeah, roughly around the same time. I think this was 2014. I think it was 2014. And the thing is, I'd... Someone had sent me your, it might have been Joe actually, and he sent me your YouTube channel and I remember seeing the Apre Ski music video. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I just loved it. And I was like, <laughs> this guy, he's got a similar vibe. He's like, yeah. who is this guy? Yeah. Uh, and I was just like, it's kind of like hipsterish comedy. You know, I was just, I was really intrigued by it. And then lo and behold, a few weeks later, we meet and you said, uh, listen, I'm looking for a garage MC to start making some well, comedy rap videos. Well, it was, it was a little, you've skipped one stage. Oh yeah, Shanghai Steve. Yeah, 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 sorry, yeah, go Shanghai on. Shanghai Steve. Yeah. So like, yeah, I, I, like, I'd been working in IT and I turned 30 and was like, oh fuck. Oh, like, I'd been in a band for like 10 years. Yeah, okay. And I, in my head, that was my job. I was like in a band. Yeah. And I was like, this is pretty cool. 
And like, I'm an IT guy during the day that pays the bills, that buys the gear for being in a band. But like, I'm in a band. And then the band broke up. Like we, we were not successful when okay. it went, it went tits up. So it broke up when you were at 30? Yeah, I was like okay. 29, okay. I think. Yeah. Um, and then I turned 30 and realized that I worked in IT. Like, and it just hit me. I'd been in IT for like fucking 10 years as well. Yeah. But it just hit me like, yeah, I was in IT. Yeah. And I was like, so full meltdown. Um, and I was married um, and like I'd moved out of London and it just all kind of like, I just suddenly became aware of my life and had a real fucking fall. You were living that proper adult this suburban is, yeah, life. This is not my beautiful house. This yeah. is not my beautiful wife, like all that shit. So I quit my job. Um, my wife left me. Did you, okay, so when you quit your job, yeah. did you sort of run it by your wife and just like, look, this yeah. is, okay. And she was like, no, she was like, was she, she was, supportive of it? Yeah, well, was, kind of. Okay. Like, she was like, I want you to be happy. And so she, and she suggested moving away. Were you at a point in the relationship where you were now thinking about kids and that type of thing? No, but our friends were. Okay. So there was this kind of social change happening as well, where like, we were living the sort of London young party lifestyle. Okay. Friends were deciding to have kids and move away. And we weren't ready to have kids. I think basically we knew that we shouldn't be together. Okay. I think we knew that, like, not Because you'd been together for a long time, right? We'd been together since we were young, yeah. Because yeah. again, it was like 10 years or 12 years or yeah. something. Um, and I think we realized subconsciously, which I only sort of then realized later on, is that, we, you know, we had a good run, but it would... The, Doubling down on a kid was not the right move. Which is smart because a lot of people do the opposite. Yeah, 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 yeah. Some of those friends who right. at the time thought about having kids, uh, they had those kids. And uh, I don't, I, I think it's going fine. <laughs> it's, it, having kids is fucked up. I haven't done that now. Um, but yeah, so we moved away and I started a recording studio. I built this studio. And the idea was I was going to become a producer and an engineer with my mate from the band but i'd worked at this company that were making youtube channels for um uh out of the itn archive and i just learned everything about how youtube works um and i thought wait a minute like this is a free tool set like i can do this and i'd been an actor when i was younger and i'd always been a massive comedy nerd um and i was like i'm just gonna make a comedy youtube channel so it had the support of my friend who i was running the studio with and my uh, wife at the time um but they were kind of like this is your little side project and we're going to focus on the main business and the main business was a very bad idea it didn't work out like we located it in witten which is up near heathrow so the main business was the recording a, a recording studio and yeah. having artists come in and you would yeah. be produced there, an engineer. Um, and, yeah. yeah, and we were like, we'll charge so much less than the places in Soho because we're further out and we don't have the rates. Turns out people like going to Soho. Turns out people think that's when, cool. When creatives become entrepreneurs, part one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was a, a huge swing and an enormous miss. But look, you gave but, it a go. You gave it a go. I did give it a go. But the comedy stuff took off pretty immediately. The comedy stuff being but YouTube videos. It was Wallop was yeah. the name of my YouTube channel. Yeah. yeah YouTube.com forward slash Wallop. Yeah. And um, so I, I was furiously making these videos. And, and they were a combination of sketches and, and sort of parody music Sketches videos. and songs and yeah. games yeah. because YouTube was an interactive platform. And I was like, well, like I had this one game called uh, Do Poo. Um, yeah. And it was just me filming my dog from uh, by the top of my house. Uh, I would let her out into the garden. And she would um, 
sniff around and decide where to shit and then I overlaid the garden with this grid and I was like you can click where you think she's going to shit and you can gamble um, but yeah like I knew I had like no money I had a camera uh, and I didn't really have any locations so I got the studio wall covered in green screen yeah um, and I picked my aesthetic from things like Banzai and Tim and Eric awesome show great job. I was like, I can do stuff that's like fake and neon. And yeah. like, because everything's going to have to be green screen. I'm just going to have to make that limitation part of the aesthetic, like, yeah. like a good part of it. So yeah, I started shitting out these videos once a month. No, once a week. Yeah. Um, and pretty quickly, people like Joe saw it and he brought me in and was like, I like what you're doing. Um, Channel 4. Uh, the mashed program on there they were yeah. like this is cool they commissioned me like um, a video games company were like we want you to make an advert for one of our games um, and so all this stuff started happening and that's when Joe died said you should speak to my friend Steve Whiteley he's um, just starting to do what you're doing and I was like yeah okay whatever um, and then Joe called me one Friday I think yeah or Thursday maybe uh, yeah, he called me on a Thursday because I think we met on a Friday. But yeah, he called me up and he was like, right, there's this job for an advert in Shanghai. Um, and they want a comedy double act to uh, do it. And in my videos, the guy who ran the studio with me. Craig. Uh, Craig, yeah, yeah. I would put him in all of the videos. Like, and we, we worked on them together, but like he never wanted to be a performer, which again, I would like use as part of the aesthetic of the videos. So everyone was like, oh, he does a great job of being the this awkward weird, guy. awkward guy. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, he's just a weird, awkward guy. I mean, he's not in the flesh at all, but he, he, was, he didn't want to do this. So, um, so yeah, I was like, well, I can't do that with Craig. Like, I think we'd done one audition by this point and it was Craig's first ever audition and he was not a fan of that process. Yeah. Uh, I can tell you that story in a minute, actually. It's funny. Um, but yeah, so Joe was just like, why don't you speak to Steve? why don't you guys pretend you're a double act and you can fly to Shanghai and film this advert in two weeks? And I was like, all right, fine. So I came to meet you on the, on the premise, premise that we, did that, yeah. that we were going to pretend uh, that we'd yeah, known yeah, each yeah, other yeah. for years, that we'd done load of double act comedy stuff together and, and try and get an audition to Yeah, to I, was, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm up for that. Yeah, why not? Yeah, tripped a little jaunt to Shanghai, why not? And to this day, you're in my phone as uh, Steve Shanghai. Nice, <laughs> nice. Yeah, and then obviously that led to us making a load of these uh, sort of like garage rap videos. Yeah, mate. Yeah, I mean, because we, we got chatting, just tracks. We? Yeah, we got chatting there because it was like, well, we're going to go and do this thing. We're going to go and lie to try and get into Shanghai. Um, but why don't? But what can we do? What are our skill sets? And you mentioned that you've been a garage MC. Yeah, and I was like, well, look, I've been a music producer for ages. So the natural fit just felt like, well, garage MCing is funny, like. I can make tracks and I have a studio. Yeah. And this is get together. This was, I can't remember if people just do nothing had come out or not, but it was, yeah, it was maybe just, I think we maybe discovered it just after that kind of thing. Although what well, we I doing... remember you mentioned it pretty early on. Yeah. And I, like, I didn't want to watch it because I was like, you know about it. I don't want to get like immersed in it. And have that. it. Yeah. I was yeah. like, I'll, I'll bring outside influence. Just... Yeah. We wanted to do our own thing and I have our own yeah. little flavor. Yeah. Um, because essentially it wasn't a series we were making. We were just making these funny little random music videos. And all even though we started off doing garage stuff, we then jumped around in all sorts of genres. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You would come around to the house in Witten, which was miles away. I know. I used to come around like every week. Yeah. Every week I used to come around. And um, and yeah, we would, we would, uh, I would 
write music tracks or you would send me lyrics and I would set some stuff to it and yeah. then and then we record them and like the the very first one we did was gluten free yeah. right yeah. which then evolved into like you kind of made Wisebaum come out of that yeah that that stuff right yeah man yeah yeah no it's so it's, a, a, it's an illustrious past yeah it was a great it was a great time for me because you know back in the day I was sort of like uh, uh, when I was seventeen bedroom garage MC yeah did a bit of pirate radio all that sort of stuff and then you know obviously that just falls by the wayside as you get older I never thought that it would come back into play yeah 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 and like in the manner that it did yeah it was sort of like um a it was sort of like a bit of a dream for both of us in that like we were like oh yeah we'll make some comedy this will be funny but it was like, I've always kind of wanted to produce Garage. And you're like, I kind of just want to be a Garage MC. So it's like every now and again, it's like, oh, is this funny still? Are we like, are we like, do we need to steer back towards the comedy? Because uh, are we just living out our childhood dreams? Well, do you remember like the first video? I went off on one and oh, I, I yeah, went to yeah, the yeah. vintage shops and yeah. I bought us a load of Moschino gear, mm. secondhand Moschino gear. Yeah, head and, to toe. Yeah. Oh, actually, I'd be meaning to tell you. Uh, last week, I put it on eBay. Uh, the machine gear. Yeah, because it's like, what? What do we need it for anymore? Oh, you know. Hey, Planet Hollywood's going to want that one. Yeah, I know. But anyway, we've sold uh, one pair of trousers and we made a tidy profit. So. Uh, oh well, congratulations. Uh, well, to both of us, yeah. So we split that fifty-fifty. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, I knew we'd make money on that project. Exactly. Eventually, we've made a profit. <laughs> yeah. We've come into profit, finally. This is what we got into this game for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and we started off in comedy, now we're in the schmatter business. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, that we, video that we went, video was amazing. It was um, we were head to toe in machino gear. Like you managed to persuade um, that like vegan uh, like life like Stoke Newington mega hipster grocery okay. store, yeah. and we were shooting in there. Like uh, and the owners were there, and like we they let us shoot before they opened for like two hours. But yeah. then we spent like I don't know, we spent a long time on the first shot. Yeah, and then and then we started to rattle through them. But I remember being behind the till and doing shots with you coming to the till to buy stuff. Yeah. Uh, and there were real customers queuing up behind you. And the owners were going like, we have to open the shop. And we're like, guys, we just need 10 minutes. Yeah, and we're, yeah, yeah. we're doing, playing fucking made up retail. Oh, yeah. Siri's getting into my face. Uh, do not go outside. Self-isolate. Um, yeah, that was fun. That was a lot of fun. Is that the one where I got really cold? <laughs> That was the one where you got really Fucking cold. Hell. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. my you, only we were, ever you, prima donna. You were being fed uh, low loaves of bread. I mean, I would be the same. I'd be the same. It was that bit when it was like bats, croissants, and Jaffa cakes. Three, Three of the, the biggest, biggest blue mistakes. And I think it was bread that you had, or you had, it was something you just had to repeatedly eat for yeah. each take. Yeah. And then it just got too much. Yeah, I was too cold, and I just was like, we have done enough. <laughs> I do not want to be here anymore. And you like took me to one side and were like, look, we're here now let's just get what we need and you kind of you talked me down off the ledge but like I look back on that and I'm like I fucking get it I get I get like A-list stars when they're like nah yeah but then it became a pattern because then when we did the following video you your character had to eat jam oh, over God. and over again that was horrible you were just eating spoonfuls of jam yeah I I, I, I I'm now I have become um, really fascinated with eating on camera and like, there's a podcast I listen to where one of the presenters, uh, it's called Blank Check with uh, Griffin and David and Griffin Newman has talked about it. And like, there's, there's, I'm all, my ears always prick up because I did another job as well between um, those two videos. Maybe it was just after the jam one 
where it was like a corporate job for this chain of hotels. And one of the scenes, I I remember, I'd written yeah. it. I was like the manifestation of Britishness. Um, so I had like a Union Jack waistcoat and, and talked like this. Hello, yes. Um, and in one of the scenes, all of the food that the hotel chain makes was made by the kitchen and laid out in front of me. And then the and I fucking wrote this. So I was like, I had the power to change this. This was my own fault. And then they would film me eating all of the food and then speed it up high speed. And then I'd be the left at the end with the plates all kind of devastated and stuff. And fuck me. Like, I just didn't get it at the time. It's like, you don't eat the food. You chew food, you spit the food out. Don't eat the food. Motherfucker, I ate so much. You're in a food coma. Yeah. yeah. Or like the jam. The jam. It's like, that shit will make you diabetic. I ate about four jars of jam <laughs> in an afternoon with a load of people there who weren't really, like, hadn't necessarily been filled in on the vision that yeah. we had for what was a pretty bizarre video. But I mean, that was that was pure mental. That was, I mean, that was mental. That yeah, was. we were having a breakdown. <clears throat> yeah, we were in the midst of a breakdown. That was clearly what so was going on. So you can't really explain your breakdown to your, to your fellow performers until you're just like, look, you are watching, it's like an AA meeting, you're all watching uh, this guy eat a lot of jam uh, and action. Yeah. Sorry, so so then after that period, yes, we either, we then sort of, you know, we go separate ways, but then I started doing, I did a few more music videos on my own. Yeah, and you then, you really doubled down on the on the, on Wisebaum and and sort of made that you figured out how to take some of the elements that we started and you were like, oh, there's something here for me, and you developed that into an Edinburgh show, didn't you? Which I yeah. came and did I do well, sound on that? I was going to say no, that was the year after. But oh, sorry, we you both go, you go. we both experienced our first Edinburghs the same year because you were yeah. in, you did a sketch show. I did yeah, that I, same year. So I find it interesting is like. Um, we had similar parallels in terms of we both had previous careers. Yes. And we both had like these, you know, dreams in the back of my mind that we wanted to get into comedy. Yeah. Um, probably, I don't know about you, but I didn't think it was necessarily possible, you know, to do that. I, I never, I wasn't a trained actor. I didn't go yeah. to drama school. I did improv throughout the years, but, but same as you, like 30 had some kind of epiphany. Oh, this is what I'm supposed to do in my life. And somehow or another, we both managed to scramble, yeah, around, yeah, yeah, throw shit against the wall, and the next thing we know, we're both doing shows at Edinburgh. Yeah, yeah, I, I met. Um, it was again. It was all came through me. You do me doing Wallop on YouTube. I met uh, a guy called Stoff Dimitriou, and he had some friends that had done a show before. Uh, they did a show before called Who Shot Hitler, which was like a sketch multimedia show, and I was in that show, but only in videos. Yeah. Like he, they needed someone to play like a police chief, yeah, uh, in these pastiches of eighties uh, cop shows, and I was like in, like fucking love. Um, so I played the chief, and then they took it up to Edinburgh, and then we were still working together on and off. And then the next year, he was like, "Do you want to be in the Edinburgh show?" And I was like, "Yeah, great." So we did a show called Me, Myself, and Isis, which again was sketch and multimedia, like free fringe, and it yeah, it was the same year that you took. Um, the struggle is real up. Yeah. And the struggle was real for both of us. Oh, the struggle was so real, man. <laughs> it was like, oh man, this this is no walk in the park, this Edinburgh thing, is it? Yeah. Yeah, because you were just saying like, it didn't really feel possible to get into comedy. And like looking back on doing that first show, I'm like, oh, that's such a great like milestone. But at the time it was like, it still doesn't feel possible to get into comedy right. because I was upstairs in a bar that had just opened that was determined to be a drum and bass 
salsa. No, the on salsa Calgate. You were on Calgate, yeah, weren't you? On yeah, on Calgate. But it yeah. was a drum and bass club. And our show went, I think, from 10.30 to 11.30 or 10 to 11. Yeah. But the, the club started half an hour into our show. Yeah. And even though it was empty, they would just blast drum and bass. And there was no door to our performance space. Yeah. Man. So halfway through that. the show, it's like, Killer. Now no one can hear the show. <laughs> and the there was, there was a month-long battle that went on between us and the the organisers of the venue. <laughs> it's those sort of things you can't account for. You spend months and months putting yeah. the show together and then you turn up there and you're like, oh, there's a drum and bass club next door and there's no door to our venue. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're doing it you, basically on a dance floor. And I remember I came to your show and it was, <laughs> what time was it? It was late, wasn't it? Yeah, it was 10.30 at so you had a rowdy, Yeah, quite a rowdy crowd. Boozy crowd. Boozy crowd. Yeah. You've got a drum and bass playing in the middle. <laughs> Yeah, you but, can't... I mean, at the same time, though, you're you're earning your stripes as a performer, aren't you? You're like, yeah, it's a great way to get better. Yeah, it really did. Because like... I remember you doing loads of it. You you were improvising throughout as well. Yeah, it became clear that there was going like the show was maybe a little too rigid. I think initially it's kind of because we had a ton of. Um, we had like a video screen in the background and we had tons of multimedia cues, which yeah. I had to cue. I had to hold like a Bluetooth presentation thing in my hand. And while doing the entire show, I had to be cueing lines, cueing things like and not letting the audience see that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it became clear once we were there. It's like maybe this is a little too rigid because you have to be a bit loose and elastic yeah, to yeah. accommodate the man. Like we had one night a man who came in who was so drunk, he had just forgotten what shows were. So he came and sat in the room, uh, but he was just kind of going like, why are they talking? Yeah, like, yeah, like yeah. why, why are they stood up there talking? Why aren't I talking? And, and like, yeah, I had to go and sit with him and be like, mate, you got to go. Like, uh, and yeah, like just stop the show in the middle, yeah. make a new thing about kicking this guy out, make it fun. But it's also yeah. like, this guy no longer understands the concept of theatre. Yeah. He can't be here. And so you're like, oh, I'm a performer slash uh, security. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so so you transition from doing YouTube to then doing the live stuff. Yeah. Was there any particular reason why you stopped creating content on a regular basis on YouTube? Did it get to a point where like, oh, do you know what? I use this as a launching pad and now it's like, I feel like it's got me into like the world of comedy performing. So I'm going to move on. Or was it more of a case of like, this is really time consuming and uh, I can't keep this up? Yeah, it was it, like, I loved doing YouTube, but like, I started doing it. I, it I, I, the videos for me as the creator, as a perspective to go back and watch them. It's a fascinating window into where I was at that time. Cause I was a mess. Like uh, my marriage finished um, and I'd moved away and I was doing like, I, I was paying uh, Craig to, to work with me. Like Craig had left behind like a very good job and how are you funding it through your work, through your IT I, job? I'd, I'd owned a flat um, when I had a good job in London and right. I sold that flat, moved out, and I used the spare cash to make the studio. Right. And to so you literally put everything year. into it. I just like, boom, right. everything on red. Right. So, yeah, there was like tons of pressure. Um, I was like drinking way too much. Um and like, yeah, it's it's an interesting time capsule when I watch those videos because I think a lot, like for me, the subtext is extremely loud. <laughs> I think a lot of people watch them and go like, hey, this is a fun is time. Funny, and yeah. I'm like, this is a diary of a breakdown. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Craig um, couldn't keep working with me. He was, he was also married 
And he was like, I need to go back to a career that has the kind of prospects I want. And while there are prospects with what we're doing, that I don't want to pursue them. That's your dream, not mine. Yeah. Uh, so I was like, mate, I totally understand. Um, and then losing a second pair of hands, it became incredibly hard to make. Yeah. I just couldn't put the same uh, effort and the production into it. So when the live stuff came along, it was like, well, I can I can do that. I can turn up and I can perform. Um, but I've always, like I'd say for the last four years, I've been like, I want to go back to making the online stuff. I absolutely love doing that. But it's a question of like, like if you want to film one person standing and talking against a green screen, just by removing the person behind the camera, you more than double the work. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're like, I've got to put something where I'm going to stand, focus on that, switch that out, stand there, come back, check it's recorded, all that yeah. stuff. So, yeah, I mean... But, it's I, like, but then it's like, um, you know, I'm I, I'm terrible in terms of like production values. I want to make stuff look really great. Yeah. You know? But if you get out your own way, or I'm talking about me personally, you know, I can just shoot stuff on a phone. I don't need to yeah. do all that. You know, then it becomes a little bit simpler. Um, but it just depends what your aims are, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm bad for this. Like, like I felt that way with Wallet when I was making it. Is that restraint? Uh, not restraints. Constraints are often like a massive benefit. Yeah. Like you just, it's like, look, I can't, I can't do something with a hundred people because I don't have a hundred people. So I just, you know, within any constraints, you can be creative and you can make something good. Yeah. Um, and I used to just be like, yeah, great. The constraints are fine. I can still, within that framework, make something. But then, yeah, I, I struggled to get back on the horse. And that, just hearing myself talking about it now makes me think, what are you talking about? Like, just make stuff. You want to make stuff? Just make stuff. Because yeah. we've got so many tools these days. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, watch this space, I guess. <laughs> yeah, but it's not like... You ha- it's not like you stopped and then didn't do anything else because then no. the follow-up, you did Edinburgh 2016. Yeah. 2017, you then went out and you did a separate show and a new show with um, Abigail Burdess and you. Yeah. So and then I- you got on to, you were on Radio 4, weren't you? Uh, performing part of that show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah we, what we did, like I came back from Edinburgh, was it 16 or 17? I think it was 17. Can't remember. Seventeen was the second you came back because I, okay. I know that was the year you were also doubling up and working on my show with me. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So I came back from sixteen and I went to an open mic night and I met the wonderful Abigail Burdess and I think I saw her perform. Um, so Abby has like been writing for years. She's been in loads of shows. Like you'll see her in the Mitchell and Webb look. Um, I'm going to absolutely murder her CV now. I'm not even going to bother. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. she's fantastic. Check she's her a big out. deal. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I met her and really clicked. Mm. Her sense of humor, um, like her performance style. I liked, I loved it. So I just, I, I just started pitching her, basically. Like we would chat, go, I would go and see her perform. And I was like, I want to do a podcast. I want to do this. I want to do that. And I would just picture because I was like, if I can get something the way she's interested, um, I would love to work with her. And I saw it as like, you know, my job to come up with what that would be because she had things going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so eventually I did. Uh, she took the bait on a podcast about Colombo, uh, which never came to fruition. But it got us hanging out a bit more. And then she got access to a room in Kilburn. 
um, upstairs in a pub. Uh, the what's it called? The North London Tavern. Mm. I think it's called that. Wow, my my fucking memory. Um, is that, yeah. But yeah, so she, like the owners of that pub just said to her, like, you can have the upstairs room, and it had been doing comedy there before. So she just said to me, well, I might start a night. And I was like, fucking great. Let's help. And through that, we sort of became a double act. We started this night called Abigail's Party. And it was a variety show. And every month we would write, I don't know, 30 30 to 40 minutes of new material. And we'd have three acts on the bill. And there would be a theme. So like uh, when Theresa May called the snap election, like we we did the election night special uh, and... So it involved us going out on stage. Like, like the, the theme was basically like Abigail was like a uh, sort of socialite throwing a party. And I was Dave, her like, I was basically her dog. I was like her scuzzy. I was obsessed with her. I was always like tail wagging, happy to see her when she came out. Um, I was the, I would do all the heavy lifting and stuff. That was, they, these were the characters. And yeah, on the election night special, we came... We said, don't worry, we've got a great night of comedy for you. It's going to be fantastic. We're not going to talk about the election because I know everyone's very stressed about it. And then a, like a klaxon went off and it was like, snap election, snap election. And we held an election all through the night for who should start running Abigail's party. Should it be Dave? Should it be Abigail? And we did speeches and we gathered ballots from people. Um, and yeah, it was it was insanely good fun. Like they were really interactive. Um, yeah, it came down to one. I, I performed it one of the nights. It was great. Yeah. It had a very unique vibe to it. And it's important to do that because there's so many comedy nights in London. Yeah. You could tell that you guys have put a lot of effort into it and it was just a real fun kind of alternative comedy show. And then yeah. that led to you guys taking the show to Edinburgh. Yeah, we took a lot of the bits from the various themed monthly shows and kind of stitched them together, changed them, tweaked them. And then it's a little bit more difficult because at Edinburgh, because we always wanted to have a new act every night because in London it was a variety show we would have these acts on that would separate out our kind of bits that tied it all together um so Edinburgh we could get we could get one person every day but for like a 10 minute spot but it's quite tricky because you have to be up there and be like are you okay can you still do it are you gonna make it from your show um but yeah we we put our bits together we did that run up at Edinburgh which was excellent fun did that with the underbelly um I can't remember what I'm talking about. And then, yeah, and then there was one sketch from that that was then broadcast on yeah. Radio 4, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah, it's on YouTube. It's Melania and... Um, uh, what's the guy called? Uh, the Whitehead dude. Yeah. Yeah, I've just had a blank as well. I'm getting total blank. Uh, is, is, is he CNN? Yeah. Anderson? Is. Anderson Cooper. Anderson I was thinking Blake Anderson. Yeah. I'm like, that's Anderson not right. Anderson Cooper, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was Anderson Cooper and Melania. Yeah. yeah. The sketch. Funny sketch, man. Yeah, it's really good. Funny sketch. It, uh, the idea was that Melania isn't taken seriously by the media because she's a woman. Yeah. Um, but uh, is actually a manifestation of Satan yeah. as well. Yeah. So she sat there uh, basically declaring that she's only married to Donald Trump because she's trying to open a gateway to hell to uh, let the devil come and rule over all of us. And uh, all the interviewer wants to know is how she does her hair. Yeah. Yeah. It was a funny... Was yeah. Funny. But you, yeah, we got... You we, obviously we played Anderson. I did play Anderson, Anderson yeah. yeah. I dyed my hair white and everything. It was a good look. I'm committed. It was a good I'm look. I'm committed to Strong the Strong look. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. And it was... Yeah, it was, a, it was a successful Edinburgh. It was like... It's quite a leap, you think about it, to go from the year before you'd done your first Edinburgh show. Yeah. Having made YouTube stuff, then you did your first Edinburgh show. You were playing in a venue where there's a drum and bass rave next door mm. with no door. 
And then the following you're playing in a great venue in Underbelly. Yeah, yeah. It was so much nicer to have like, like awesome. sound people yeah. who make sure the microphone works and stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I was doing your show as well, wasn't I? Checking um, my show. Yeah. What was that? What was that bar called? Uh, Opium. 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 Yeah, I did. That was a yeah. good fun show. Yeah, that was. Fun. I had a good time. It was fun. That was fun. Yeah. I got to like because doing the sound as well. I was behind a little curtain. And I was queuing up all the songs, and I'd written some of them and other ones um, you'd done, like you'd had done elsewhere. But I, I, it really felt like getting to have the fun of being in a show without any of the pressure any of being in the show. That was yeah. all on you. Yeah, yeah. It was fun. It was really fun. Yeah. Um. So you were saying before that while you were doing the YouTube stuff, and you, I guess, had what you'd call a breakdown and you're drinking, et yeah. cetera. Did the drinking stuff continue all the way through right up to that point where you did the Edinburgh show in 2017? And if so, how did you manage yeah. to balance that? Or do you know, how did you manage to, because then it's all consuming, isn't it? To a certain degree. How yeah. did you manage to, I don't know, push through that while you're doing all this comedy stuff as well? Yeah. I mean, um, like I'm not, I'm not, um, I don't want to sort of contribute to this idea that all comedians have to be messed up. Yeah. Right? Like um, Richard Herring, the great Richard Herring, like one of my all-time heroes, like the ex-comedy partner of Stuart Lee. Um, like he came and did Abigail's Party and he was talking about like being fine. He's like, yeah, no, I'm fine. I had a nice time as a kid. I, you know, I'm not this messed up person who does comedy as a result. So I don't want to contribute to that, but I was a messed up person who was doing comedy. I don't know why I've contextualized it like that. But it's fine, yeah. Um, like, so, yeah, I my drinking, yeah, I drank all the way through all of this, like, a lot. And it became completely interwoven with, like, it was, it was for me, uh, an anxiety coping mechanism. And, like, I had a lot of anxiety anyway. Like, the anxiety is what got me to give up my job. And then I got into this field where it's like, there's no certainty. You're going to perform in front of people who don't like you. Um you know, you're constantly going to be like, is this good? Is it, I have this idea. Is it good? Does it make any sense? Um, and I use drinking all of the time to try and manage that. But like increasingly it became a heavier and heavier weight around my neck. And it also like initially starts out as this thing of like, um, oh, drinking allows me to be creative because it gets me out of my head. Increasingly it becomes like, no, drinking is sabotaging my capacity to create. It's, you know, the, the the urges the way on which i used it to free myself have become a prison um so yeah i've been sober now for 10 months it's i got amazing. sober thank you i got sober 10 months ago and like yeah haven't looked back um it's much better now being able to uh realize that you know the drink isn't what gives you the creativity um otherwise everyone would drink and everyone would write shows. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So now, now I don't, I don't drink at all and I will not drink again. You, I mean, you kind of figured from my perspective, you figured, all right, I need to take some drastic measures here. Yeah. And maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but that was part of the reason why you then went out to LA. Yeah. And then you, you signed up to UCB and yeah. you just went full throttle. You did that. You went, you did all the courses at UCB in yeah. Prague and then you sort of like, 
had this sort of like shine about you. You were chiseled. <laughs> Come back. Hey, I'm Hollywood Dave. Yeah, I went for Hollywood. Yeah. Like I, How I, was that experience? And, and was that, is that, would you, you say that's right? Was that part of the motivation for going out there, just getting away from London, getting away from whatever it was that sort of, I guess, would pull you into those kind of cycles? Yeah, I, th- I think like um, I've been in London for 20 years and I've been doing comedy for four or five years. And um, I had a relationship end in a bad way. Um, the Abigail's party night wound up um, and I loved doing it so much. So it was, that was like a breakup, you know, it was like, oh man, now I'm not doing that anymore. Yeah, it's like another thing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And I, I kind of, I kind of um, reached this point. It can be difficult, right? When like big projects come to an end and mm. you're like, what is my next project? Do I have one more in me? Um, and yeah, I found myself at the end of all of these things, all of these cycles that had started at different points, all kind of came to an end at the same point. And so I got obsessed with this idea that like, oh, changing location is what's going to do it for me. Like that's going to straighten me out. So I put loads of work into getting a visa to go and stay in America for six months because um, the improv scene over here, there are some good improv places, but by and large, I was like, I really want to learn that craft of long form improv you know, Del Close, like Second City, UCB, all of these places that were kind of like meccas to me. Um, so I put a load of work into getting a visa for six months. And then I went last January uh, 2019. And uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I think I started UCB two days after I arrived or something. Like I'd already booked in. And in the six months I did the UCB, Level one through level four. So I'm like now ready for academy. But when I got out there, like I was aware of this uh, from therapy and stuff, this idea of like uh, people do a geographical, like people have, you you have a, I'm going to stop saying you, I'm going to use my eye statements. I had a problem um, with, with my mind, you know, and manifesting in alcohol abuse. And uh, I thought, well, I'll just change everything else around me. And that will, that will fix me. And it, it doesn't work. It's, uh, you know, you, you, it's your carry-on luggage. You yeah, take that shit with you. You're running away, but you're still left facing you. Yeah, the problem was you the whole time. Yeah. The problem was me the whole time. Not mm. And so I just took it to LA. So I got there and immediately threw myself in, but it was also in a city where I didn't know anyone. And uh, it was fantastic. So exciting because I was learning and I was performing, but I was still drinking loads. Um, so it got to about six weeks in. Um, I was doing a storytelling course and, and an improv course at the UCB at the time. And on a Sunday, I always had to submit my story for the week. And then I would go and perform the story at storytelling night on the Sunday night. And my cash card had been eaten by a bank machine. Um, so I had a week where all I had was like 40 bucks in my pocket. And it's like, you can't drink because that's gone in a day. So I'd spent this week sober, purely out of necessity, um, just so I could live off Cheetos and stuff while I was waiting for my new bank card to arrive. And on that Sunday, I submitted my story and I had the performance coming up and I knew I'd nailed it. Like, I was just like, this is good. Like, this is good stuff. Like, or if it's not good, it's to the best of my capacity. And so that feels good as well um and yeah i fucking nailed it and then that night my bank card arrived 
and I was like, who wants to go out? And uh, everyone said, no thanks, we're, it's Sunday. <laughs> what are you talking about? Uh, so I, I went out on my own and I went to this karaoke night. And I just went, went on a bender for a week, basically. I was drunk the whole week. And then um, it got to the next Sunday and it was the morning. And I was drinking vodka and I was trying to write my story, which I still hadn't done. I hadn't submitted. I hadn't put the fucking work in because I'd been drunk the whole time. Um, so I ended up um, like just accepting that I was going to do a bad job of this story and I was going to have a bad gig, uh, which both came true. Um, uh, but I also just texted a friend and I was like, I have to stop drinking. Like, what do I do? So yeah, I, that was the last time I drank. I met up with my friend and she was like, we can help, we can help. And um, yeah, they did. Perfect. Hello, sorry to interrupt in the middle of this insightful conversation, which I'm enjoying, I'm sure, just as much as you are. But I need to give you guys a little reminder. Uh, if you like this conversation, this episode, if you like balancing acts in general, then please do subscribe to us, rate and review us because it makes the world of difference. And the more reviews we get, the more rates we get, the more people can discover the podcast and we can make it go viral, whatever that means. Okay, back to the chat quite a journey isn't it yeah so yeah that so we yeah so that happened two months in to a six-month process and then after that i was sober i was busting my chops working on improv and it was amazing it was a real uh game-changing like the scene out there is fantastic it's there there is less cynicism on the audience part and there is more diversity of talent on the performer part and as a result, I think everyone is willing to just go to any show mm -hmm. because they'll be like, hey, something will be good. Yeah. And that level of support from the audience level feeds into a level of playfulness on the performance level. And, and this kind of feedback loop of, of supportive vibes. And so, yeah, every night of the week, you can go to multiple comedy shows. They are well stocked with people eager to laugh. It's, it's a joy out yeah. And uh, yeah, and I, I really cherished all of the teachings from the UCB. They're amazing. And I, I really want to go back to the academy. Yeah. yeah, to the academy. So what's like, what now you're sober. Yeah. You're chiseled. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're looking great. And you figured out that you don't need to be you know, having drinking to be mm. able to enhance your creativity. What's now like, what's like the end goal for you? Or not even end goal. Where do you want to where Where do you want to take it all now? Because you, for me, you've always been someone that's got such like a diverse skill set. Mm. You're really good at lots of different things. Thank you. And you know you can make you're a brilliant producer, and you do great characters, and all these things. You're a great writer. How do you How do you want to sort of take those sort of like skill sets, and what do you want to try and I don't know, necessarily focus on. You don't have to focus on. Feel like it's an interview. So tell me, what do you want to focus <laughs> where on? Where do you see yourself in five yeah. years? Yeah, but have you got like an idea of where you want to take it all? Yeah, like I've got a few. Like one of the like I came back from LA and came into London and realized, oh yeah, like London isn't really for me now. It's kind of like you're um, over it. You're, I look, you're done. Yeah, I, I I I always used to fucking hate when people would be like, yeah, London. I'm just kind of uh, I'm tired of this now. <laughs> Uh, as if London has become shit. I'm fully aware, like, London is still amazing. Yeah. Like, it's me that's shifted rather than, like, uh, God, you're still doing that city? Yeah, yeah. Mate, it's all about the Northeast. 
So yeah, I've, I'm in a new relationship with an yeah. uh, absolutely amazing uh, woman, um, and I've moved up to the northeast, and that means so that means I'm kind of out of the performing circuit down here. But here are the things I would like to do. One is I was like, I really want to become a great writer. Yeah. Um, so I've spent the last eighteen months trying to figure out that practice, uh, and I'm writing a pilot with a great guy called Chris Keys, who's uh, an animator, a very funny man. Um, so we're writing a pilot for an animation and that has been a long process. Like we started it because we had fun at a party together. Um, we knocked something up pretty quickly, sent into a producer out in LA who was like, oh, this is interesting. But then we sent our script to a company called Industrial Scripts. And I cannot recommend these guys highly enough. They're amazing. Yeah. Um, we sent it to them and like they basically, it's, it's run by people who all work within the studio system. And it's as if your script or your idea has been greenlit and you're getting studio notes on your first pass. So it just means that you can get the kind of notes you would already get for, I think it's something like $50 for, right. for one assessment. And it, so we sent the script to them and it came back and they tore it to shreds. But it was amazing because it was like, oh God, they're right. They're right about this. They're right about this. And so I've spent the last year going through those notes and trying to figure out, learn and master um, the outcome of them. So yeah, so one thing I would like to do is I would like to write something and have it picked up and um, I'm trying to do that. Another thing I would like to do is get into an improv team uh, and I, I like, stand up was never really my jam. Like I think for stand up, you need like a really specific perspective Particularly, actually, in this country, I think you need a specific perspective on things that are happening. Mm -hmm. I think so much of uh, stand-up over here, or the stand-up that gets picked up, is um, observational about the world and the current climate. And I never feel like my perspective is uh, going to be that popular. Like things like, well, you know, it's not really my place to say, or well, they do seem like an expert. Yeah, it's like, yeah. They I'm know. not an expert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like the, the stand-up people like is people going like, oh, they should fucking do this. Yeah, yeah. Whereas you're like, um, did you see that interview the other day with uh, Jurgen Klopp, the Liverpool manager? One of the no. uh, one of the journalists. It was a press conference after a match. One of the journalists said, um, you know, what's your view on um, the coronavirus? And he said. Why are you asking me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not an expert. Yeah, yeah. Why are you asking a football manager? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you get that same feeling. You're like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, don't, I don't want to give an opinion on this, sir. I'm yeah, not a political like, analyst. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah, if people are, you know, the stand-up's like, oh, you see, like, Theresa May's called that election, or like Boris Johnson, Boris Johnson's response to the coronavirus. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I mean, it seems like he's spoken to some people and uh, they probably told him some stuff and they seem pretty well qualified. It's like, not funny. Yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. just agreeing with stuff. I feel I feel kind of um, I feel too spineless with my opinions because I <laughs> I have opinions about stuff, but then I'm like, yeah, but am I just a fucking idiot? Like I don't know. So I don't know. I never quite figured out what my voice was in stand up, um, but I love sketch and I love um, character, and then those two things fused together. I really love improv. I love the uh, the colder and the fire of like. Here we fucking go. Yeah. Let's check it out. Anything I like happen. how forgiving it is as well, right? Because yeah. like you you earn credit simply on the virtue of it being made up. Yeah. Like if you were to then record those things and come back and say, I've got a sketch and do it again, people would be like, sketch is weird. The sketch is loose. 
Uh, sometimes they're perfect, but sometimes, you know, I, I like how the audience are just kind of willing you to even be able to talk. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And also, I guess the difference is, is like when you fail in improv, it can still be very funny. Mm. Whereas in stand up, you can start that you can start that out maybe once in a set, maybe twice. It's like oh, you know that whole thing of like uh, well, I thought it was funny. I mean, you can only do that once. Yeah. Even that, I mean, it depends. Even a club set, you can't even get away with that. Yeah. Um, I, I, but with improv, yeah, there's more room for uh, your failure to be embraced. I feel. Yeah, yeah. The whole it's a, it's a high wire act, right? Yeah. It's kind of like you know people are there to see if you fall or if you balance, and it's a win either way. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, I, I mean, I went, I went to a stand-up night in London just before I moved up to the Northeast. And there was quite a few acts that were deliberately kind of forcing failure. Like right. it, was, it was an aggressive style and it's a choice. But um, I don't know, like the, the old, uh, I went to go and see Stuart Lee's new double show, like okay. Snowflake and I can't remember what the other half is called. And in Snowflake, he said something along the lines of um, the old rebellion used to be being liberal and the new rebellion is being conservative. Um, and that's that perfectly summed up how I felt about this stand-up show that I went to go and see, where like a lot of the acts were saying things like, um, you know, oh, can't say that anymore, can I? Like, oh, yeah, you know, like they were, they were deliberately caught in controversy through saying uh kind of conservative views yeah. uh, or like you know like racism there was a guy who did a load of anti-semitic material and he was uh jewish right. and that was his um that was his justification but i was like yeah but it's still gross yeah like i like true. the idea of the rebellion being like maybe we should be nice to each other rather than the rebellion being well maybe we should build a fucking wall yeah, oh, yeah. i'm like ooh, 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 weird yeah so Okay, so this is like almost like Dave 2.0 territory now where... It's probably Dave 9.0. Yeah, I was about, I was thinking that, but we'll go with 2.0. Just okay. rolls off the tongue. Yeah. 9.0, it's a bit clunky, but um, Dave 2.5. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, We're just calling it the new Dave. Yeah, the new it's Dave. It's a full rebrand. New Dave. We don't need numbers involved because no, no. it gets complicated. You exactly. can lose, yeah. Too uh, many versions. We're just doing a full... Versions. It's a reboot. It's a reboot, Dave. We're just calling it Dave. Just Dave. Yeah. Isn't there? Uh, we should call that channel. Uh, it's got a ring, good ring to it. Yeah, those motherfuckers. Oh, what are they doing? You know, that every, <laughs> everything I get into, my name gets taken away from me. Yeah. Like uh, like Dave, the comedy channel. But like even when I was wanting to be a music producer, there was a Grammy award-winning music producer called Dave Tozer. No. Yeah, he's John Legend's producer. He's won Grammys. I'm like, every creative field I get into, somebody's like, we need a Dave Tozer that isn't this guy to have great success immediately. And I'm not changing my name. So anyway, we're That's relaunching. It. Dave. Yeah. That's where the drinking started, wasn't it? You saw this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, like well, fuck this guy. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so in terms of like, you know, I guess finding this balance between your creative life and then your everyday life, it, things must have shifted somewhat now. Yeah. Because I know, for instance, like you go to the gym now and you've I like do, started yeah. getting into all that. Have you found that has been really helpful for you just in terms of like, I don't know, clearing your head or any any particular benefits and impacts on your creativity and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Like, like it's been absolutely massive. Yeah, I've tried to shift completely into like, uh, how, do I, how do I get into this? Yeah, like... 
I certainly don't feel like I figured it out. Right, like it's real easy to when you've made a big change. I've got to start using Iceland once more. When I've you know I've made this big change, I've stopped drinking, and then like the easy temptation would be to come here and to talk to you and to say like, oh yeah, yeah, it's so great now, and I've I've uh, I go to the gym and I do this and that, and I feel amazing. But like the reality is like the temptation is always to try and present myself as like together and figured out. I still think like I have a real, like I have had phases where I've thrown myself too much into creative stuff and just let my life wither and die. And then other phases where I get too afraid to go into the creative stuff because it's like, oh, the stuff I did before, even though I hated it when I did it is really good and I can't replicate that. And so there's like a ton of self doubt, like, all the time but what i am doing now is i'm meditating uh and i'm going to the gym um and every single time like if i if i'm trying to write i'd be sat down in front of the computer and i'll get the dread and i'll fold the computer closed and i'll put on a show on netflix that has 400 episodes and i'll be like i'll just watch the first one um and then convince yourself it's for research sure yeah 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 and like the things i'm researching turns out i need to research er again like i'm not why because i want to that literally that happened to me the other day i started watching er because i wanted to i put into a script line that the reception area is busy like the reception area of an office is busy like the reception area of an ER. <laughs> and I was like, I should see what that's like. And like six hours later, I'm fucking like all in on ER. Um, but uh, oh, I'm losing my thread. Yeah. So like I get the dread and I go away. And, and what I do find and what I've been trying to make myself do every time now is like, if you've got the dread, stop. Like go and do something like particularly for me physical exercise works but mm-hmm. like meditation something else and then by the time i get back i can't wait to get started like i'm doing the exercise i'm getting the endorphins rushing in and i'm feeling like i've achieved something by doing it um but then i'm also like having ideas and like when i come back i've got at least one idea to to, to kick things off and then the dread goes away and as soon as the dread goes away it flows but yeah the battle with the dread is probably a life long quest for me i don't know i don't i think everyone has it yeah i think everyone has it how did like what about you the dread yeah because well you said to me we met the other day and you said to me that you were um uh you used to like sort of have to write on a deadline or just get something done so you would sit down and you just try and squeeze it out yeah like have you changed that approach Uh, a deadline's good for me what I've realized is that if the if the deadline isn't imposed by somebody else, I need to self-impose it. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily even need to be the final deadline. I need to have mini deadlines mm. and mini, mini targets. And I'm saying this, but not necessarily doing it. Sure, I'm yeah. trying to like, I'm going through very much of like a rejig of my whole creative approach at the moment and just trying to switch things up. And one of them is like, okay, how can you be more disciplined? It's like, well, you have to set yourself deadlines it's like in any job you got you got to complete stuff by a certain date why should it be any different in, yeah, yeah in this yeah. field yeah it's like, oh, okay i'm gonna like work on this uh i'm gonna work on this uh this script at the moment and see where we get to in a month I was like, yeah. no no like give yourself and, deadlines and they're all great excuses there's so many great excuses to never finish anything yeah. like i used to have this with um uh with writing music um and like recording it and producing it engineering it like 
you you can always change the EQ. You can always add a new effect, slightly change the mix. Like like you can tweak forever. And you're like, oh, I'm just going to change it until it's finished. And it's like the reality of every album you've ever heard is they weren't finished. They just had to come out. Like once they come out, yeah. they become finished. They become frozen in time. And as a result, that's the end of that. But like if that band, if Fleetwood Mac had been given another year on Rumours, they'd have used that year. Of course they would. They wouldn't have been like, no, we've got nothing to do. It's finished. One of the biggest killers of creativity is being a perfectionist. If you mm. feel like it has to be, you know, I can't do this until it's perfect. You never get it out there. Well, yeah, you never get it done. Yeah. It's the same thing with like the YouTube stuff. Yeah. You know, we're probably quite similar in that respect. We wanted to make it look amazing or whatever. And then that gives you an excuse to like delay it. Yeah. Or, I think perfectionism is an excuse to never release. Yeah. Because, it's a, it's, because perf- perfection doesn't exist. Yeah. It's a, it's a form of procrastination. Yeah. I was watching a YouTube video the other day on TED Talk about procrastination. Mm. I think you just type in <laughs> TED Talk procrastination. It's like an absolutely amazing feedback loop yeah. of self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Just so watch I've got it on this loop. wonderful video series on procrastination. <laughs> yeah. you, you must check them out. Yeah. But with that, that being said, it was really interesting. And they they were saying like you know procrastination is okay you know it can lead to creative moments but um where it leads to unhappiness yeah dissatisfaction is when it's their when they're big goals when it's smaller things uh that those sort of putting those things off are okay you know on on short-term basis but when it's like a big project such as writing a sitcom or creating an album to keep putting that off and not give yourself deadlines that's when the sort of the unhappiness starts to seep in and yeah. you sort of probably get feelings of like unworthiness and you know like oh, what am i fucking doing yeah 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 like that's that's a big thing that i did uh, like loads of work i did a load of therapy and like a huge how long have you been doing that for i did therapy for five years okay um was that game changing for you yeah okay. yeah absolutely massive yeah um and one of the one of the big uh takeaways was um like just specific to me was nurturing an inner parent rather than an inner critic and like my inner critic voice was just fucking running the show and was out of control for so long like you're a piece of shit why have you done that you fucked this person over like oh this is garbage you can't do that just all the time and it's it's um you know it's it's a useful part of the human psyche that has just there's some bugs in the code and it's and it's gotten out of control yeah you know that voice is there to protect you it's there to reinforce social bonds you know don't fuck your friend over you know guilt about that is evolutionarily uh, advantageous because we want to help each other like you know it makes sense but in some people myself included it's just gotten too high status and it, again, it just leads to this self-made prison where, again, you, where you find yourself just assuming like, oh, I fucked this person over and that isn't why that's why they haven't called me. And the reality is people's world doesn't revolve around you, Dave. Like, like they haven't called because they're busy or something else. It's fine. Um, and, and then also nurturing like an inner voice that instead of saying like, you haven't fucking done this, you're rubbish, is to say, hey, good job on those three pages you wrote today. Yeah, which is so important. Yeah. And even, you know... Um, reward yourself give yourself little mini rewards for those things which i don't really do but apparently that's supposed to be good but that whole idea yeah of the inner critic and what i've been thinking about a lot recently is how deeply embedded habits are and how they're Mm. deeply ingrained within us the sort of same things you do over and over again and that goes hand in hand with your thoughts 
the same thoughts have been like circling around for years and years and years. And one of the hardest things to do is, it's like that uh, book up there got Into the Woods, which is sort of like a metaphor for all um, narrative structure. You know, the character goes into the woods and then he comes yeah, out the yeah, other yeah. side. One of the hardest things to do is like once you recognize, oh, those those thought patterns or those habits might not necessarily be healthy, changing that, trying yeah. to change that, that, that is like a constant battle. Yeah, you yeah, know, I might yeah. have a couple of days, you're like, oh, cool, yeah, yeah, no, I managed to, whatever it is, talk to myself in a different way or or lower that inner voice, inner critic, and then a couple of days later, even, almost out of laziness, you can let it come back. It's just easy to just go back to how it was. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. just so much easier. There's less effort involved. Yeah. Just be an arsehole to myself. <laughs> I'm done with this shit. Yeah, I mean, I fucking, like... Case in point, last night, two nights in a row now before bed, I just fucking ate a handful of fruit gums. <laughs> like, what am I doing? Like, I went, I to, I, I went to the gym, uh, I ran 10K, yeah. I came home, I did some work, I was like, this is good. Uh, I'm staying at my mum's at the moment, and um, yeah, and then she went up to bed, uh, and I just popped open the cupboard and she had one of those big bags of fruit gums and I just took like maybe, maybe 20 of them and I just put them in my mouth. They felt so good at the it time. It was fucking great. Yeah. And I went to sleep foot with just a mouth full of sugar. <laughs> what the fuck am I doing? Yeah. But, you know, it's I've got to give that monkey inside my brain something. The monkey it demands does. satisfaction. It does. No, it does. I guess it's about replacing. I mean, that's not exactly, a, you know, necessarily a really bad example but it's, a, it's about replacing the rewards with a healthier version such as you saying oh i'm going to go to the gym or something like that yeah i mean yesterday is it the, somebody said something to me recently and i fucking loved it uh it was about a state of constant revelation um was that it might have even been you let me know if it was you okay um, there's an expression of revelation on my face thinking was it me <laughs> yeah, yeah did i say something this, that deep <laughs> this would be incredibly appropriate if it was you because somebody was just saying it's this lesson that i keep learning like uh, they were talking about meditating oh yeah uh, and they were talking about living in the past and the future too much all of the time uh which i think the the inner critic like really generates is this idea of like you fucked up yesterday you fucked up the day before you're never going to get it together in the future. And so you just spend your entire time living in these two. There's a phrase that someone told me. It's like one foot in the past, one foot in the future, and you're pissing on the present. Um, mm, that's great. And like meditating is this uh, good tool and exercise I find it as well to like get rid of that uh, and to remember to be here now and to just get on with things. Mm. And um, it's, it's, it's this constant revelation. It's like, it's not like, I learned how to spell the word peanut. Uh, now I can just spell the word peanut. It's like, no, you have to keep learning how to spell yeah. the word peanut every fucking day. And yesterday was a classic case in point because of all this COVID-19 stuff. Like I was like hyper anxious on like, I, I saw you on Friday. After I saw you, I drank like four coffees and read the news for an hour before going into an audition. And my anxiety levels didn't come down for about six hours. Did it help the audition? I, it depends how serious they wanted it. I certainly, I came out of there and I was like, I have played that. Like it, it was a comedy improviser is what they wanted for the audition. Um, and they, and it said in the script, like you need to play it very serious. 
I played it like the fucking plague was coming. Like, I, I, so if that's if they weren't serious, I gave it to it. him. But yeah, I came out afterwards and was like, did I remember to make that funny at all? Or was that just like I was saying, I'm afraid your father has passed. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, what was I saying? Yeah, I, I, I learned my revelation again yesterday. I was like really anxious, really caught up. I was like, shit, I don't know if I'm going to get this job next week. I don't know if I'm going to go away uh, my girlfriend is away right now i don't know if she's going to be able to fly back all this stuff and there was this voice in my head just saying just go to the gym just go to the gym and i was like oh i don't know if i should go to the gym and, mm-hmm. and then eventually i was like stop stop what are you doing and i went to the gym and i remembered the lesson that i'd learned the day before and the day before that that i just get myself out of the dread out of this cycle that i'm in i go and do something that focuses my mind like physical exercise and i come back and i'm fine yeah yeah so i just i just keep reminding myself to learn the lesson of action over thinking every day that's great that's great it's like it's like you almost need to go through that period or like you know that journey of oh things are really shit right now yeah and my life's a bit of a mess yeah in order to get come out the other side to learn whatever it is you needed to learn yeah man i mean I'm definitely now at the point where I'm grateful for um, a lot of like bad situations that happened before. I'm incredibly grateful for all of them because if things had gone a little better, I think I'd be a monster. Right. You know? Yeah. And like, what do you mean from an ego perspective? Um, I, I mean both from an ego, like just an unwilling, because like when, when things were bad before, I would just bury my head in the sand and say, all of you fucking people are crazy and, I'm fine. <laughs> and that made me more sick. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if I was ever a real monster before, but I definitely think I feel pity for people who achieve great success as 21 year olds. Yeah, that's going to be hard, right? It's got to be hard, right? Hasn't it? Like, I'm glad that I've been forced to, at some point, take stock and think because I'm a much more centered individual now, I think, than if I was like, didn't didn't need to yeah and then went deeper down the rabbit hole yeah and also from like a cynical perspective you've mm. got so much material now to <laughs> yeah yeah you know it's true though like yeah it's whether you want to use it or not but like you've gone through all yeah, that it's, stuff it's like, dizzy rascal man it's it's uh like dizzy rascal's first album boy in the corner was all like really great street stuff and then was it his third i i don't really know but about fame he got to the point where he was doing bonkers and holiday yeah. and and he's and i liked i liked what because people were like why are you doing this album and he's like because my life's amazing like well i've got nothing else to write about yeah um and i always liked that as an angle but i did think yeah it's a good point like he got his brand uh going off the back of you know being an outsider and struggling and like unless he wants to be dishonest he can't write about that anymore that's the problem with that's why i reckon so many like second or third albums suck yeah yeah yeah, yeah. because they've reached that point now yeah where it's like, like just gonna write about like what can I write having about? a lion yeah there's only so many times they could write about their heartbreak or all of the bad shit and now they're doing super well they're they're famous they're successful they've got loads of money it's yeah. like well, now, guys, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Or well, let's do, a, why don't we do an album that's just sort of like a, an instrumental piece? Oh, that sounds good. Yeah. 15 tracks, just instrumental. Mm. We've got nothing to write about. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just called Cash. <laughs> yeah. Cash money, please. Yeah. Um, cool, man. Um, what about 
like what are your like if you got creative inspirations like from music or film or or you got any go-tos where you're like you know what i just need something to just inject some inspiration or just set me in the right mood so then if you got any go-tos that you're like yeah this will sort me out yeah i mean like inspiration wise like like massive influences and inspirations like i think it's always sunny in philadelphia is like a holy text i think it's so incredible what they managed to do um with their constraints like budget wise like the early shows are produced with absolutely no money and it really doesn't matter like what they what they nailed immediately mm-hmm. was um a, a set of characters where the interactions between those characters like they've got um i mean danny devito only came in in the second season but he really did complete the set which is weird but fortuitous for them but they've got these five characters where you can have character you can have mac with dennis mac with charlie mac with d mac with frank and each of those has its own unique dynamic and you can do that with all of the characters in any number of combinations and so they're really the number of stories they can tell are infinite um and it's still no mean feat. I mean, they've just done season 14, Crazy. which is insane. That's insane. I know. They don't wow. get, I don't think they get the props they deserve. Like, there's, a, there's an episode, I think it's season seven or eight, called The Gang Desperately Tries to Win an Award, which is um, a meta episode. It's, it's about the people in the bar have never won an award for the bar. And, they've never and it's a meta episode yeah. about the fact that it's always something Philadelphia has never won an award. And it, and it ends with them basically both admitting that they're desperate to be recognized and also spitting on the, like literally spitting on the people giving the award and going, fuck you. Get out. <laughs> but yeah, so like I, I, I watched all of those many, many times and I, and I think they are masterpieces. Um, I think Rick and Morty and Dan Harmon in general, uh, is a real good inspiration. I really like his stuff about the story circle uh, and mythology. Can you explain that? Like um, the story circle, Dan Harmon broke down what half hour... Comp- so he doesn't like serialized stuff. Okay. He likes every episode of a show. He's the creator. He's a creator. Well, like um, Justin Roiland created Rick and Morty okay. in inverted commas. He made a very weird short featuring those characters. Dan Harmon came on and developed it into a show. So he's the co-creator and he really made it into a thing that could run for half an hour because Justin Roiland is like insane. Like if he'd made a half an hour show, it would just be like a Dali thing. Like, right. Like non sequiturs. Do they co-write it together? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And Justin Roiland does the voices of both characters. Right. But Dan Harmon is the one who's given it structure and purpose and a lot of the fabulous dialogue. Like he did that show Community as well. Which okay. Is, so he was like a, he's a veteran writer. He is a vet, yeah. yeah. Like, he's never quite... I think Rick and Morty is the first time he's had, like, just a bona fide hit on his hands. Okay. But he's been... Like, he did... It's just finished, but he did a podcast called Harmon Town, and he's very open and public about his struggles as a writer. Um, and he's, like... He's not a nice guy. He's been fired from shows for being a maniac and stuff. Okay. And um, But he he's really immersed himself in trying to understand what it is about the human brain that loves these stories that we tell okay and like there was a academic called joseph campbell i've got his book right here of a thousand faces yes yeah yeah so he writes about like mythology how there, there are these sort of key elements in the mythologies that have lasted thousands of years yeah like the hero 
who refuses the call to adventure uh, yeah. and then goes on the quest and um, gets what he wants, but is changed by it and yeah. comes home the master of both worlds. Yeah, it's the same as the metaphor of going into the woods, that same yeah. type of Yeah, archetype. exactly. Yeah. And yeah, Dan, Dan Harmon kind of took Campbellian stuff and condensed it down a little bit. So he's done this thing called the Story Circle. Um, is that available just on yeah the, yeah okay. you can just go you can find his blogs written about it and okay but i mean largely he'll just say read campbell right okay. uh, but here's a starter okay kind of thing. if anyone wants a, a hack uh there are interviews there's a netflix series with joseph campbell on netflix oh wicked yeah so it's like four four or five i think six episodes actually where he goes through every single aspect of mythology and yeah it's a brilliant it's really good yeah and I got I got really into that stuff when I was trying to write this sitcom out in LA. Got into reading about the archetypes in stories, like the hero, the Joker, the orphan. Like these are like so the orphan in the story doesn't have to be someone who's lost their parents. It's like there are character traits for this archetype, and then you can see uh, examples of them in other media and stuff. Um, uh, so yeah, he he's an inspiration. Rick and Morty is kind of an inspiration, but I like it so much. I'm also like, don't watch it too much. You're yeah. just going to start writing in that voice. Um, and then yeah, like music is massive for me. Like, but it changes all the time. Like at the moment, it's Gloria Gaynor. Okay. Uh, like I saw this documentary on I Will Survive, just on that record. Oh really? Um, that was Where on, was that on? It was on BBC Four. Okay. It was made like. 10 years ago, but it got re-aired. It might still be on the iPlayer. And, uh, oh my God, I loved it. Like, I, they took such a deep dive. Because, yeah, we all know I will survive. Um, uh, but then they took such a deep dive into why it works, a piece of music, what it is about it. Because it, originally it was the B-side. It wasn't the single. Um, and, yeah, I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And then I bought this Gloria Gaynor album and like the songs are so good. Yeah. So I did, just any piece of music, like I always used to want music to make me want to like shake my fists and like, like, like have this kind of like physical catharsis from it. Uh, and if I, whatever piece of music is doing that for me at the time, if I put that on, I find I write faster. And Really? Because I was about to ask you, do you play music to get you into a certain... Yeah vibe definitely to help you writing too yeah yeah. okay yeah i mean i feel like i was raised by movies more than any sort of human adult uh and so like for the first like 20 years of my life if i wanted to feel it i'm gonna sound like a psychopath i was a sociopath uh if i wanted to feel anything i would just pick the soundtrack you know what i mean yeah yeah, because then you can access that emotion that you felt in that film yeah Yeah, exactly that makes sense So, so i was i was very into soundtracking life um and uh, that kind of reached a peak where like uh i i I was going into this Hans zimmer phase and i was listening to the dark knight rises soundtrack all the time love it it's amazing that's great for the gym yes yeah oh like i always loved it for like commuting okay like like rush hour commuting dramatic yeah because (laughs) because the train would be really packed and it would be horrible yeah. But if I'm listening to like The Dark Knight Rises, I'm on this mission. I'm a covert agent. And <laughs> like, so this is part of my struggle to get to my end of my quest. Yeah. But then I was, I was listening to it when um, my dog, I had this chihuahua called Ren. You know Ren's dead? Yeah, man. I just spoke about it, haven't we? Yeah. I, this is the fucking crazy days we're living in. I saw you do a social media post and I fucking commented on it. And that's yeah. as far as we've spoken about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. That's sad, man. It is sad. But... Before she died, uh, yeah, I was listening to Hans Zimmer, The Dark Knight Rises, 
and crossing the road and this car ran a red light and ran ran over <laughs> and so i was like listening to hans zimmer screaming falling backwards she got like pinged in the air and i i still have a very strong visual memory of like leaning back and like no and i was like dude i've got to stop fucking like the worst thing i could have been listening to right then was hans zimmer it was too much but again sorry for being the cynic within me uh, the cynic within me is coming out saying that's a great scene yeah yeah I mean, it's a hell of a movie it's a great scene <laughs> yeah it's true gotta use true. your life experiences absolutely um, alright man well look this has been a great conversation uh, I'm going to wrap it up by asking you a question I ask all the guests that come on what does the idea of balance mean to you or not I guess like the the idea of balance for me is that I've got like all of these urges, old urges that are like coded into me from however it was that I grew up. Um, and, you know, I know from the experience of having to get sober that these urges are bad. Like they are not, they, they come from a good place of my brain trying to protect itself from the uh, onslaught of reality. But they lead to the wrong place. Like I have gotten the answers wrong. Uh, and then I have all of the things that I know consciously work for me, like meditating, exercising, being productive, all the things that actually do bring happiness. Um, but the urges are like super strong. Like I have defeated alcohol, but like, you know, the urge to lie around, the urge to procrastinate, the urge to like self-isolate, like with or without COVID-19. So balance for me is the continuing practice of trying to figure out how much of my life I can live by the old urges and how much I can live life by what I know consciously to be true. But ultimately, you know, I don't think we're conscious beings. Like the consciousness is this thin layer that we have draped on top of us. Uh, and really we're just going around acting out our subconscious. So yeah, balance for me is not trying to suppress all of the urge stuff because it's not sustainable and i'll just explode it's trying to figure out how much of that i can interweave with the stuff that i consciously know to be uh, good for me and then like you know have a lovely old time don't fall off the tightrope all that stuff that's great man <laughs> that's a great answer all Very right thoughtful answer thank you um social media where can people find you go and watch my videos on youtube.com forward slash wallop they're old and they're fun uh, other than that, I don't really use social media. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm on Twitter and Instagram at David R. K. Tozer, but don't expect much. Wicked. Thanks so much, man. Mate, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's been a good chat. You enjoyed it? Yeah, it's been wicked. Good. It's nice to see you. As always, always yeah. great to see you. Perfect. So there we have it, Dave Tozer in the building. Lots and lots to take from that. Really great conversation. And like Dave's clearly come out of the other side of, you know, his his struggles that he's faced and has now just got loads of wisdom, like fresh perspective. And I, for one, I'm pretty sure that I think it will affect his creativity in a very positive way. I think you can you can fall into that, not necessarily trap, but, you know, this idea that, that you have a vice that you feel is necessary in order to accentuate your creativity. But once you drop it, you realize that is not necessarily the case. So I crumbled this week. I've been quite 
healthy diet wise and then this weekend there's only so much a man can take you know isolating solo so I bought loads of chocolate like I mean shit loads and uh, started watching uh, Tiger King yeah it's a documentary the buzz documentary that everyone's talking about at the moment on Netflix and it's amazing some of these documentaries you know these characters you couldn't write them like they are so strong but yeah I gobbled down Oreo dairy milk two whispers and I think half a bottle of wine but you know you've got to give yourself you've got to give yourself a little bit of joy don't you in these situations and I'm just yeah just trying to carry on just writing stuff and I just keep on toying with the idea of doing like sketches and online content but I just haven't got around to doing it because I'm just focusing on writing stuff at the moment but that's probably just an excuse but I will get around to it at some point and then yeah exercising first thing in the morning which I think is like sets me up for the day do the old meditation don't need to talk about that anymore because I keep banging on about it and just I think it's so important to have like a structure and routine while this is going on still haven't succumbed to daytime tv watching which i'm very proud of but i've got back onto words words with friends haven't played that since 2012 and i'm absolutely loving it i've also downloaded the app chess.com i'm playing chess with friends and uh that's also a lot of fun so lots to keep myself occupied with i hope you guys are finding a way to get through this as well i'm sure you are that is the thing we are living in an age where there's so much entertainment and content at our fingertips you know it's it's very easy to keep ourselves occupied uh, and that's obviously not to not to mention books and you know everything there's loads there's loads out there anyway that's it for me for the next few episodes or until the unforeseeable future the conversations are going to be recorded via zoom wish i had invested in zoom uh many months ago because they have skyrocketed in value obviously since corona as have netflix and some of these others if i'd had the cash and the foresight i'd be a very rich man by now but anyway i digress so yes the conversation if you hear a slight change in audio that's because obviously social distancing means that they need to be recorded via Zoom. So there we go. Um, all right, guys. Well, look, thank you as always for listening. And please do rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. That would be more trust appreciated. Until next time, stay safe. Balancing Acts is now made in association with the Comedy Crowd, who are a website and community that support independent comedy creators such as myself. I have a Comedy Crowd short, which is a, a two-minute video one of my characters on their website they showcase the best new videos on comedy crowd tv which is comedycrowdtv.com and across media platforms so do go and check them out ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.